Hi, this is Marta Keene, the Will County Recycling Specialist, and you're listening to 1590 WCGO, Chicago Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. So I worked as a secretary a couple summers back for uh, just this office, and uh, one of my duties as secretary was to water plants in the office. (laughs) So I watered these plants every day, and uh, there were five of them. By the time I finished, four of the plants were doing pretty well, but one of them was just so vibrant and so green, and it was my favorite plant the whole time I worked there. So my last day in the office, I was talking to my boss, and I was like, whoever comes in after me better make sure to take care of that plant because it's my favorite. I always gave it extra water, and it's my favorite. (laughs) And my boss looks at me and is like, Drew, that plant is made of plastic. I water that plant every day for four months. I was convinced it was growing. Right? And this was the first time I ever witnessed like my whole dating life flash before my eyes in the form of a plant. I thought we had something special. I made that plant like three mix CDs. I thought it was different from all the other plants. Which I guess it was in the sense that it wasn't actually a plant. (laughs) Now I just feel like I can't trust plants anymore, you know? To this day, though, I still don't understand. Where did the water go? (laughs) There's no water there. I didn't make it up. What we had was real. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio, flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. And by Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights, USA made with a five-year warranty. Jumpstart your plants with better life. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. And welcome to the show. We got a new pilot at the control, and he's got his, his NBC cap on, which is really good. Andrew, Andrew Marshall, or is it Morshell? How do you pronounce it, Andrew? Uh, it's Marshall, yeah. Marshall. Yes. Well, see, I couldn't even get that right. We'll All call right. you Andrew. Andrew. That's fine. All right. And uh, Andrew is piloting uh, the ship now, so please don't run us into the shoals. That would not be a good thing. But... <laughs> and uh, we're we're very pleased. We'll give the, give the man a ding until 
it all goes south. And then we take the ding away. I don't know how we do that. We actually have to erase. We have to go into the to the recording and erase that, delete that. But so far. Well, we could do a backwards ding. Yeah, yeah we could do that. Uh, so uh, welcome, Andrew. Uh, and uh, and we even got the, a, a visit from Sonar. In the control room, I know Randall's in the building. It's we're we're lousy with engineers here today, at uh, our studios. And welcome to the show. And I'm not sure where to what to start with. The good news is, it's I, I didn't freeze to death just walking out the door <laughs> today. And uh, the and that's the problem in this country right now. You don't know what you're going to get mm-hmm. when you from when one you week wa- to the next. From one week to the next, literally. And we'll talk about that uh, later in the show. Uh, but there's good news and bad news about that, and and I was just kind of scrolling through all the stuff we've posted, uh, and you can go to the Mike Novak Show on Facebook uh, all the time because we're always posting great stuff. I got a great team, and lots of folks on the team post uh, fantastic information during the week. Stories that you should probably know about mm-hmm. the natural world uh, and related things. Sometimes. Um, outer space because i am kind of a space geek um and uh and we've been putting stuff there too so uh, about that but a couple of things this week the good news is uh monarch butterflies yes we saw that the count for for mexico is up this is this would be the eastern the eastern see and that's monarch that's the problem there's good news and bad news see there's you can't you can't look at any of this in a vacuum we can't just say hey monarch populations are up okay mm-hmm. let's let's go back to doing what we were doing no folks it doesn't work that way because the uh, the insect is still under threat uh and it has to do mainly with stuff that uh well it's habitat we lose the habitat and climate change two two biggies all right let's throw in the pesticide use uh, anything else we want to throw in there? Uh, poaching. Yeah, we'll throw that in there, too. See, all these things, you you have control and over... And freak uh, storms. And freak storms. What about climate change? That's what, you know, freak storms. Yeah, you can have freak storms without climate change, but there you go. But the population in Mexico of the eastern monarch is is up, which doesn't mean anything except it's, it's up this year. Uh, what happens when they come north and then go back for next year? Who knows? Mm-hmm. The western monarchs is crashing. They're crashing. Uh, that's west of the Rockies. Uh, they've gone from a million to like 30,000. Yeah. And then there was this cold snap. Might it kill some insects? Might it knock back numbers of, of emerald ash borer and things like that? Too early to tell. We don't know. See? All this stuff, it's like, good. is it good news? Is it bad news? We don't know. However, on the show today, we got lots of great stuff. We'll be talking about plants. We'll be talking about animals. Stick around. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. That's not just a tree in your yard. It's an investment. It's a windbreak. It's a natural work of art. It's part of the family, which is why you want Bartlett Tree Experts to care for your tree. With 120 offices worldwide, Bartlett is the largest residential tree care firm in the world, and their techniques are backed by the science of the Bartlett Research Laboratories. Call for a free estimate because every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. We all love our pets, but do you ever stop to think that farmed animals deserve love and care too? 
The Mike Novak Show is teaming with Crate Free Illinois to present a screening of the award-winning film Eating Animals on February 12th at Dovetail Brewery in Chicago. A panel of farmers and activists moderated by Bill Turk of Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall will explain how you can make simple, humane choices in your everyday life. For tickets and information, go to the Crate Free Illinois Facebook page. Do you love trees? Do you have a great story to tell about a special tree in your life? The Morton Arboretum and Openlands have partnered to launch Tremendous Tree Stories, an online collection of stories highlighting people's connection to trees. Submit stories of the trees you cherish, remember from childhood, or that hold a special meaning for you. Browse the collection and consider sharing your own tree story by visiting tree-stories.org. Tree-stories.org. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at Mike Now. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, mike at mikenovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at mikenovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at mikenovak.net. This is your talk. We're going to be here for a long time. Only on 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Well, that'll be the day when you say goodbye. Yes, that'll be the day when you make me cry. And this is the day, the day the music died. Aw. 60 years ago. Yikes. Okay. Some of us were alive then. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. When we talk about the day the music died, some of you might not be aware that on February 3rd, and if you're listening to this live, it is February 3rd, and yes, that's how you pronounce February. February? Uh, February. Uh, and uh, that was the day that a plane went down, what was it, in Iowa, I believe, mm-hmm. with Buddy Holly, Big Bopper, Richie Valens. Valance, rather. Valance. Valance, yeah. Richie Valance, and um, um, took them all out. And Buddy Holly was a pretty creative guy. Um, who knows? I, you know, hard to say. Big Bopper, I think he was a one-hit wonder. Um, but you don't know. And uh, Richie Valance, probably somewhere in between. Uh, Buddy Holly was a genius. And uh, it would have been, you know, can you imagine Buddy Holly now at like 89 or whatever, uh, and having a body of work. Oh, well. Uh, as I said, this is the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. I can't talk about the day the music died because we got a lot to do on the show today. One of the things that's happening around here in the uh, Chicago area, and it'll be, if you're listening in other parts of the country, um, you want to hear these people. You can't necessarily come to Chicago, so that's why we bring them on the show. Uh, and uh, let's do that right now. One of these folks, Benjamin Vogt, has been on the program before. He's out of Lincoln, Nebraska. We interviewed him a couple of, not quite, like a year and a half ago, about his book, A New Garden Ethic, Cultivating Defiant Compassion for an Uncertain Future. Um, and, uh, then we talked to him last year when the, the, the plant police were coming for him at his home in Lincoln, Nebraska, cause he was growing too many natives and it was making him uneasy. And we'll get to that in a second. Um, and then also we have Claudia West 
She's a landscaper. And our connection, we have one degree of separation mm-hmm. with Claudia West. It's because uh, we interviewed her partner, Thomas Rayner, uh, and she and Thomas wrote a book called Planting in a Post-Wild World, which has sort of um, uh, become a very important book out there. A lot of folks, are, uh, I, and I assume it's doing very, very well. The point is both of them are speaking in Chicago in a couple of weeks at a conference uh, for Wild One, West Cook Wild Ones. It's the Naturally Beautiful Garden Conference uh, that is Saturday, February 16th from noon to 5 p.m. Note the time, a little odd. Most conferences happen in the morning. This one happens in the afternoon, so I want to call that to your attention. It will be at Triton College uh, in River Grove, Illinois. Welcome, Benjamin Vogt. Welcome, Claudia West. Uh, Claudia, uh, we'll get to Benjamin in a second because he's been on the show. Hope you don't mind, Benjamin. But, Claudia, let's start with you. First of all, thank you for being here. Oh, hi, and thanks for having us on the show. It's exciting. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm I'm looking at, and, and basically the conference is going to be the two of you guys duking it out. Uh, they're uh, on a stage at uh, Triton College. Um, tell us a little bit about your background. I know you're, you're a landscape architect. Uh, you, you wrote this seminal book, uh, which I think it's becoming that, uh, planting in a post wild world. And I will cop to it. I have not read it. And I realized yesterday as I was putting all this together, I went, you know, this is, this is a book I Mm -hmm. have, I absolutely have to read. And and I'm kind of embarrassed that I haven't yet. So it's on the list. It, it, I'm going to rush out and, and get it. And I advise other people to do this. Tell us a little bit what, what you, what, what you do at uh, Phyto Studio in Arlington, Virginia, and, and a little bit about the book. Yeah, well, thank you for your interest in the book. Um, well, I, I would consider myself a real plant nerd. Um, I was <laughs> raised in a plant nursery in Germany, and I think, to be honest, I think my blood is green. <laughs> um, I'm a passionate planting designer and um, a very concerned naturalist. I'm concerned about what is happening in the world right now as we read about insect apocalypse and um, the sixth great extinction that we are in the middle of, the fact that our windshields are now no longer covered with bugs when we drive through a summer evening. Um, and one of my big passions is about bringing the right kind of plants back into our world to rebuild the foundation of life, to rebuild the ecosystems that not only we, but all the other creatures that share the planet with us um, depend on. So at Phyto Studio, we are um, a a very uh, specialized uh, landscape architecture firm. We try to help our clients develop planting systems that are both ecologically highly functional, that help clean stormwater, but are also having an incredible amount of emotional depth and appeal. We are not a restoration firm, but we are a landscape architecture firm that tries to develop new planting systems and solutions for the built environment. Uh, yeah, uh, you you guys talk about creating a hybrid of ecology and horticulture, um, and and that I I think when you guys wrote it, you meant it to to be kind of groundbreaking. It seems less groundbreaking a couple of years down the road. It seems like. That's what other folks are trying to do, and I know don't know if it's because they've read your book or or you know great minds uh, start to think alike. But what you're trying to do, <laughs> what you're trying to do is bring together ecological planting and traditional horticulture, and think about and and I think even more important, and this is where we'll get to Benjamin, is think about plants as groups of compatible species 
that interact with each other and the site. So plant communities. And as a matter of fact, that's that's the headline of my blog. If you go to MikeNovak.net, plants, animals, and their communities. And, and that's kind of the important thing is how plants interact with each other, isn't it, uh, Claudia? It is, yeah. Uh, but first of all, I want to make clear that Thomas and I did by no means invent this uh, method. We are lucky enough to be building on the hard work and brilliance of generations of planting designers and scientists who have paved the way and laid the foundation for this kind of technology. And um, well, I think nobody says it better than Benjamin in his book, um, why it is so important to um, no longer accept the way we're working with plants is very clear. Um, the question, however, is the how. How do you build planting that can perform all of these functions? Um, and, and that's what our book focuses on. It tries to attack uh, the why from uh, the how from two different directions. One is um, very much plant science-based. Um, how do plant communities function? What plants are good companions to one another? You know, you want to make sure you have a balanced system where everybody plays by the rules and you, you don't have bullies that eventually take out your garden. <laughs> so the technology behind that, the science, is really important. And the second um, we have method, uh, the second part to that is the aesthetics. How do you make it beautiful? How do you give it emotional depth and make this kind of planting fit into highly visible front yards and commercial spaces where they're you know, part of people's everyday experience and have to meet certain aesthetic expectations? All right. So, yeah, I think these two sides play into it. Okay, and so that 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 is our cue to bring in Benjamin Vote, who's been on the show several times. Welcome back, v- Benjamin. How are you doing? Hey, prairie up, my friends. I'm nice and toasty. <laughs> oh, Nebraska. And, and remember that. Remember the phrase "prairie up, baby." Okay, that's that's his signature call, "prairie up," uh, and and that's and that sort of gives folks a clue as to your kind of thinking, Benjamin. Uh, Again, as I mentioned, he's the author of A New Garden Ethic, Cultivating Defiant Compassion for an Uncertain Future. And you also write uh, an award-winning column for the website House with two Zs. Um, And uh, you run uh, your own business called Monarch Gardens in Lincoln, Nebraska. So given what Claudia West has said in introducing plant communities, how would you expand on that in the 21st century as we head into, as you say yourself, an uncertain future? What do what does the average gardener need to know about plant communities? The average gardener needs to read Planting in a Post-Wild World twice, and then they can read my book once. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's where we start. <laughs> and they can go uh, to the, uh, the yeah. conference, too. Yes, and go to the conference twice. <laughs> uh, uh, but one of, the, uh, one of the things I want to get to, Benjamin, very quickly, is um, one of the things that Claudia and, – and I don't mean this to start a, a fight between the two of you, but I was kind, I'm kind of intrigued because I know that you're a native guy. You, you think that – and I agree with you in this regard, Benjamin. We're not using enough native plants in our landscapes. And your goal, I know, is to get people to do that more for all the benefits, including our insect populations, including the benefits uh, for stormwater management and that sort of thing. Um, Do you have a room – do you have room for plants that are not natives in our landscapes? 
Oh, it depends. And look, I, I, I'm not going to fight with anybody about this. Come on, you, you can't do that to us. That's not fair. <laughs> I know because you're presenting together. You but, know, but go ahead. Oh, no, I mean we're 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 we're, we're, we're both, our aims our aims are the same. We're going the same direction. Mm-hmm. We have to think about ecological function. We have to think about beauty. We have to think about how uh, we're treating the stormwater, how we're sequestering carbon, how we're cleaning and cooling the air around us in urban areas. So all these things come into play. You know. I mean, we, we we want elm trees, but we're going to have to have a cultivar of an elm tree that's probably been bred with one from China or something. So there are there are always what ifs in certain circumstances where, for me, we can fudge the rules a little bit. I'm not a hundred percent native plant purist. I'm only ninety nine percent. There you go. Uh, but but you make a really <laughs> <laughs> you make a really good point about trees, uh, and it's not just elm trees, but certainly at some point ash trees. Uh, when these species disappear and the only way we can bring or or, or what's the um, chestnut tree, you know, there are work, there's work mm-hmm. right now to bring chestnut trees back. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you do with uh, um, uh, those kinds of species when the only way to bring them back is science and, and getting hybrids uh, put together so that they're, they're, you're right. There's room for um, a little compromise in there. So, what is it you want to bring across to the folks at this conference uh, on the 16th of February, Benjamin? I, I, I'm I, just guessing. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm guessing Claudia is going to be the real practical, this is how you do it, and I'm going to be the real philosophical, kick you in the pants or kick you in the heart, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure Claudia will do the heart, too. But, um, yeah, I, why, why we garden, how we garden matters more than ever because we are in a six-mass extinction, because we don't have wildness around us, because we are a society that focuses on human privilege and human supremacy and doesn't see life through the viewpoints of other species. So how can we do that in our landscapes? How can we do that in our garden? That's where I'm coming from. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm completely with you uh, on that, especially the human uh, premacy uh, um, supremacy part. Uh, that's, um, that's very important. So, all right. In the, having said that, why don't we go back to Claudia? How do, how do you intend to, cause you're going first Claudia on the 16th. What are you going to roll out for the folks uh, who are in the room? Yes, I think it's going to be a really exciting lecture. Um, one of the things that, um, are important is uh, not only to motivate, but also to show folks how, you can make a difference um, in today's reality, even on small properties and even if you only have a small rooftop garden with maybe a few containers in it. Um, so the lecture will focus mostly on the aesthetics this time, on how to use these small spaces we all have available to create inspiring and beautiful planting that maybe will even convince your neighbors to do something very similar to that. So we will actually look um, into the history of human evolution, really, and understand more about what our sense of beauty is really based on and how we can use these inherited definitions of beauty to our advantage as we're designing a whole new generation of planting that will be much better for our planet than what we're doing right now. So we'll dig deep into eco-psychology and then translate that into practical um, techniques and principles for everyday garden design and uh, garden management. And I hope everybody will be tickled to at least try, you know, maybe a handful of these ideas in their own gardens and help uh, turn this big ship into the right direction. And and I imagine you're going to uh, give us some of the same 
uh, uh, advice that Thomas gave us when he was uh, Thomas Rayner, who mm-hmm. was on our show last year when we talked to him and and his deal was you've got to pay attention to how plants grow, the different levels of plants, uh, the open spaces we all uh, somehow gardening in the last 50 years turned into uh, as much open space as possible with as much mulch as possible. And and that was a, that's a cul-de-sac that we went down the wrong road there. Um, so, (laughs) and, and you can prove that by, uh, looking at, uh, uh, Benjamin's garden, who's gotten rid of all that stuff and it's gorgeous. Um, let me ask you very quickly, Benjamin, um, you, uh, last time you were on the show, which was last year, you had the, uh, the city of Lincoln, uh, looking at your yard and saying, uh, we don't know if this is exactly what we want in Lincoln, Nebraska. How is that going for you, Benjamin? I'm not sure if it's exactly what I want in Lincoln, Nebraska. I keep trying to make it better. It's, it's harder than it seems. Mm-hmm. I, I've had no issues since since May. Um, we're doing okay. We'll see what happens when the growing season starts again. But um, yeah, I, I just I'm, I'm being very conscious about as as I as I told your listeners last year. As I tell everybody, be very conscious about where your plants are going, what plants you're using, keeping things cut back, using as many flowers as you can, always having something in bloom. Um, all those good strategies, but um, yeah, you never know. Maybe I'll be on your show again this summer with some bad news. You know? <laughs> well, the point and the point you've also made is educate people when they come into your yard and you're growing natives, and the uh, the inspectors don't know what they are. Explain what they are. Explain how you use them. Explain why you use them, and and that's part of what you're going to you're going to be talking about benefits. on the 16th, aren't you? Yes, of of course, and 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 when you, and when uh, especially when you're talking to weed inspectors, I've I found that if you know the scientific names, then you're already way ahead of the game. So you're, mm-hmm. you're likely to win them over. If you want to win neighbors over, the inspectors told me that you have, when you have a sign out front that's just a sentence about what you're doing and why you're doing that can go a long ways. But but again, as Claudia will speak to, it's also a lot about aesthetics, especially in uh, suburban developments where. Garden beds are relegated just about three feet along the foundation. So that's what we're used to. So this different style of gardening is, I mean, it's not different because it's what wildness is. It's just that we're not used to having wildness with us the last 50 years. All right. That's uh, West Cook Wild Ones, the naturally beautiful garden conference. Claudia West, Benjamin Vogt, thank you so much for being with us. You can find the information at my website, MikeNovak.net. This is Mike Novak. For the past couple of years, I've posted the progress of my tomato growing on social media. And each of those years, somebody said, what kind of sun do you have? My tomatoes are barely started. Folks, it's not the sun. I get my tomatoes started with Happy Leaf LED grow lights. Five-year warranty, USA made. Go to happyleaf.com and save 10% on purchases above $100 when you use the code Mike. Happy Leaf LED grow lights. Jumpstart your tomatoes with better light. Wild Things is back. I'm talking about the 2019 Wild Things Conference on February 23rd at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center in Rosemont. There's nothing like it anywhere else in the country, as naturalists, citizen scientists, conservationists, birders, and more converge for more than 100 seminars, as well as comedy, workshops, and goodwill, and perhaps a libation afterwards. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki is a media sponsor again this year. Get your tickets at wildthingscommunity.org. This is Mike Novak. 
The song says it's the most wonderful time of the year, unless you're homeless. And I'm Bill Turk. It's hard to know what to do, but you can design a care kit for people in need, something that will do some good in the short run. And I'm Peggy Malecki. The number one item people need is good socks, high quality wool or thermal. Hats, gloves and scarves are also important, along with hygiene products like deodorant, body wash, toothbrushes and toothpaste, band-aids, lip balm, wet wipes, even nail clippers. Food products can include high-protein snacks, easy-to-open tuna, crackers and peanut butter, applesauce, granola bar, or fruit rolls. And I put everything in a one-gallon Ziploc bag. And if you can, make a connection. Offer a smile or even your first name. And don't forget to include some feminine products, too. You're not changing the world. Just making one person's world a little better for a little while. This is my tribute. See, we had the day the music died earlier. That's just too sad. This is the the day the music lived, and it's uh, Queen. Um, I've had Queen songs going through my head for two (laughs) weeks now, ever since I saw the movie Bohemian Rhapsody. So I I had to... You had to play it. I'm going to play another one later on, too. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, and one thing we want to get across before we move on to our next guest is that if you're interested in going to the Naturally Beautiful Garden Conference uh, from the West Cook Wild Ones, by the way, as I mentioned, it's at Triton College at uh, 20, 2000 Fifth Avenue, River Grove, Illinois. You can get a discount for the next couple of days by simply going to their website, and you can go to uh, my website to find that. Or you can go to nativeplantconference.org or go to mikenovak.net. I've got the link there. And if you type in Mike Novak 2019, don't forget to spell my last name correctly or it won't work. M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K 2019, all one word, through, uh, through Tuesday, February 5th. So you've got two days if you want to get 10% off of your ticket. And it's really... <laughs> It's, it doesn't cost a lot anyway. So um, my, my feeling is you probably want to pay the full price and, and make sure that the West Cook Wild <laughs> Ones. Help them out. Yeah, yeah really. Um, but they offered that, and I said, okay. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll give that. So, uh, again, it's the 16th of February, noon to 5. Again, remember, it's not one of those 8 a.m. things. It's an, It starts at noon, goes to 5 p.m. at Triton College in River Grove. All right. we got. Did I mention that we got a ton of stuff on the show today and we need to get to it? So let's go right back to the phones and bring in a friend of the show, and that's Nick Lucas, who's the program manager for Advocates for Urban Agriculture, sometimes known as AUA. Nick, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Morning. <laughs> We were going to have him come to the show, and then he realizes that it's <laughs> we're out in the wilds of Evanston <laughs> here, and uh, we really wanted you in studio, Nick. You got to do that at some point. You got to come and join us here. Um, I definitely look forward to that. Yeah, I was excited, but uh, I live in Bridgeport, so when I saw, ooh, I was, I was looking at, <laughs> I was looking at that commute. I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, I, I look forward to making it to the studio, Mike uh, and Peggy. I really do. You, when the you, weather's a little warmer. Yeah, you'd be making a few transfers That's, along yeah. the way, so uh, we completely yeah. understand. Uh, and the reason that Nick is on the show, another event coming up, and one of the things we love about Chicago 
in <laughs> in January, February, and March is all the crazy stuff that goes on in all the different ways you can learn. But this one caught my eye. Um, because I think this is going to be really, mm-hmm. really fun. Advocates for Urban Agriculture is hosting its seventh annual Urban Livestock Expo. It's at Southside Occupational Academy. That's 7342 Hoyne Avenue in Chicago. And it's next Saturday, the 9th. So uh, if you want to get on board for that, uh, you don't have to pay anything. That is free. And you guys get a ding for that. Um, and but they do want you to pre-register. Yes, you 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 should pre-register, uh, and you can find out more information about that at my website, mikenovak.net, or go to auachicago.org. So, Nick, what's that all about? It's going to be as you. I think you described it to me in an email, or somebody did. Said it's kind of like uh, the world's greatest petting zoo, but it's not really about petting zoos. It's really about learning about animals, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And so the, the focus of these workshops, these uh, free workshops, as you noted, um, it's covering the whole range of care. So it's daily care, ideal breeds, troubleshooting common problems, and professional tips for being a good neighbor in the city. And that's really the focus of, uh, of this whole event is how to be a good neighbor, because if your neighbors don't have a problem with somebody has a problem with what you're doing. Um, so yeah, and the workshops range from Introductory, um, you know, introduction to backyard uh, beekeeping or uh, or chickens, and then some some more advanced ones that we're really excited about. There's a few hands-on workshops, a build your own beehive, uh, hmm. hands-on. Um, we've also got uh, uh, poultry first aid and common diseases, chicken coop, uh, build your own chicken coop, and um, yeah, goat nutrition foundation <laughs> for good health. They're hardy creatures, but got to make sure that. Uh, you know, you're getting them all, all the right things. So wait, 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 yeah, we're wait, very wait. excited about uh, the range of workshops. And, uh, yeah, all those workshop descriptions are up on our website. And we're very excited about uh, the presenters we have also. So number of local leaders uh, in the urban agriculture and urban livestock uh, world. And then also we've got visiting us uh, all the way from Guatemala, Veronica Giron. Um, she has been working for decades uh, out in the countryside of Guatemala. And she will be here uh, as part of our Spanish language workshop. So we have uh, workshops in English and Spanish. And she'll be going uh, over chickens and incorporating them into permaculture design and larger organizing principles for using even small space, uh, mm-hmm. small spaces um, or very few uh, resources, but how to manage them um, to the you know to the best possible way. Um, and yeah, we're really excited about that. And, uh, yeah, yeah, just a, a great range of folks from all across uh, walks of life, from real experienced uh, uh, high-level stuff to the just getting started uh, exploring and, and learning more. Right. As you, as you mentioned in your, um, your information, it doesn't matter where you are in terms of your knowledge. You're probably going to get something out of the workshops that day. Um, and as you mentioned, it's a little bit of everything from beekeeping to raising chickens to backyard goats. And, you know, in terms of goat nutrition, it's, you just, mm-hmm. they just need tin cans, right? Isn't that the way that, uh, <laughs> uh, is that, does anybody right know, is, right is, is, is that a thing anymore? That was when I was growing up, it was all in the cartoons. Goats ate tin cans. Does, do kids even know that anymore? Is that a joke? I have no idea, Nick. Do you? 
Uh, pun noted, Mike, about do the kids know that anymore? But I'm bum. Ah. All right. <laughs> Thank you. And your coffee today, Nick. Wow. <laughs> you're, you're a lot sharper uh, than I am, yes, Nick. Uh, uh, they definitely bring a great element to the event. Um, all, most of the presenters bring animals with them. So, yeah, we've got, we'll have goats uh, and chickens and ducks mm-hmm. and quail there. Um, so, very excited about that. You know, duck uh, duck keepers really feel like they're, uh, duck eggs are, are the tastiest of all, and uh, a quail mm. uh, notes that they are uh, mm-hmm. oftentimes a lot easier and cleaner to maintain than, than chickens. So you'll get a chance to get up close and personal to, uh, with all of them. The bees will be asleep, um, but Southside Occupational has a great uh, urban ag program on site. So they do have beehives uh, there, as well as a really robust learning garden and also, uh, chickens, ducks, goats there, uh, as well as aquaponics. And there'll be opportunities to tour the building. Uh, they are a vocational high school for students with developmental disabilities. And the urban ag programming is a real great component in their holistic and supportive education for these uh, young adults. So really a great opportunity to uh, to check out um, really a, a very unique program in the city of Chicago as well. Yeah, we we love the folks at Southside Occupational Academy. We've had them on the show. They were also, their garden was a winner in the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we're so glad that you're teaming with them to do this. Uh, I want to get back real quickly to, uh, you mentioned uh, the presentation by Veronica Huron. Uh, and she's part of an organization called Sustainable Sharing with Guatemala, or SSG. Um, the group works with indigenous Guatemalans on health, agriculture, and environmental projects. Uh, and as such, she will be doing a presentation at the uh, expo um, that uh, will be on composting and chickens. And this is part of what you're doing, and, and, I, and I think this is wonderful, too. You guys are doing a Spanish track. Uh, at your expo next Saturday. So uh, you, you folks uh, out there uh, who have friends who speak Spanish, I'm not sure how many Spanish-speaking people are listening to the show right now, uh, but this is a, a, a great way to bring in other folks in the city of Chicago mm-hmm. into this, and and uh, Veronica will be doing her presentation as part of the Spanish track. But I want to mention, because uh, a friend of mine is part of the SSG, the Sustainable Sharing with Guatemala. Her name is... Uh, um, uh, Julie Siegel, and I've worked with her for years, and she told me to mention that there are a couple of other events that SSG is involved with. So starting on the 9th, uh, obviously, they're at uh, the uh, Urban uh, Expo that you guys are, uh, uh, the Urban Livestock Expo. And then on the 11th, uh, that Monday, Veronica is going to be speaking on using global permaculture methods to enhance local stewardship. Uh, and that's at Kilbourne Park uh, from 7 to 8.30. And then uh, on the 15th, she remains in town to do an SSG special event called Climate Resilience Panel. That is at Neighbor Space at 445 North Sacramento. Uh, Veronica is going to share her personal field experience with uh, climate resilience permaculture practices that span borders. So, uh, they're doing a lot in town in a very short time, and I wanted to get that information out. You can go to my website, MikeNovak.net, if you want more information about those events, or you can go to Sustainable Sharing with Guatemala 
and that's sustainablesharing.org if you want more information. So uh, I, I hope you don't mind, Nick. I wanted to get that out. And and kudos to you guys. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're very excited about Veronica uh, and, and those three presentations she's giving. Yeah, and I'm I'm very excited that you guys are doing a Spanish track. That's that's very very cool. Uh, do you, uh, how often do you do that at your events? Yeah, we've been bringing uh, uh, more and more uh, you know, full on Spanish language or interpretation at our events, uh, just because there is such uh, rich agricultural history, obviously in the Spanish speaking community. Um, so yeah, trying to bridge those uh, language uh, barriers mm-hmm. more and more, and yeah, very excited. This is our second year of having uh, Spanish language workshops uh, at the Urban Livestock Expo. So yeah, just uh, just keeps growing and growing. Very excited. Okay, well, and, uh, we're going to take a, a yeah, quick, quick one other element. Yeah, hold on, uh, Nick. At, Nick, uh, can you give him a little more sure. send? Uh, I, I'm not sure he's he's hearing. Nick, I just want to let you know we're about to break here. Um, and, uh, I know you want to get to a few other things, so we're going to take a real short break and we'll get back to you, uh, because I know that advocates for urban agriculture does a lot of other things and you've got some great, uh, stuff coming up. And in fact, we have somebody on the line who's going to be talking to us, somebody we interviewed last year at the Good Food uh, Expo, uh, and it's about, uh, soil health. So, uh, that is uh, Nick Lucas from Advocates for Urban Agriculture. We've got more on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Stick around. I think you're going to enjoy it. From boat to doorstep. You can have the best in premium and sustainable Alaskan seafood right here in the Midwest. Sitka Salmon Shares is an Alaskan community-supported fishery, or CSF, comprised of small boat family fishermen from southeast Alaska. They're supported by 4,000 CSF members, and you can be one, too. Sign up at SitkaSalmonShares.com to receive fresh Alaska salmon, whitefish, and more in shares ranging from three to nine months. Use promo code MikeNovak18 for $25 off. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. Being a meteorologist, you see things daily that can be related or not related to climate change. And then you separate that from the climate science and the social policies. So it's almost like teaching three classes. The meteorology, which is short-term, the climate, which is long-term, and then the policy, which is government, whether or not it's federal, state, or local. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate on WCGO 1590, Chicago's Smart Talk. More than ever, Chicagoans are looking for resources to help them lead a healthier, more sustainable lifestyle. I'm Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakenings, Chicago's greenest and healthiest local magazine. And if you want to reach consumers that support this growing wellness market, you need to get your business in front of our 80,000 monthly readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us our readers are committed to improving their health, leading greener lives, and taking action. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors, nutritionists, organic products, relaxation options, fitness and yoga classes, green landscapers, energy efficiency experts, and more. Our dedicated readers pick up their free copies of Natural Awakenings each month throughout Chicago and the suburbs because they know it's our area's best source for information about healthy green living. Call me today at 847-858-3697 to learn more. And check us out at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. One, two, three, four. Nam yo ho and gay kill Buddha, please. Pity humble. 
<laughs> Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Blicky. I just did that to put, uh, you know, get everybody juiced up a little bit on a... Oh, Chrissy Hines on a Sunday morning. Yeah, why not? Uh, and we are so pleased to be talking to Nick Lucas, uh, who is the program manager for Advocates for Urban Agriculture. And uh, next uh, Saturday... The 9th, they will be hosting the 7th Annual Urban Livestock Expo. We were talking about that earlier, and there's just a ton of stuff going on uh, on that day. If you want to have an animal in the city, and I think uh, something really important, uh, Nick, uh, because somebody, when we posted this on our Facebook page, somebody wrote, and you responded beautifully, um, it was somebody said, well, you know, aren't we already worried about how we're killing animals and there's too much uh, meat uh, consumption mm-hmm. in America? And this person kind of said, why are we advocating this? And you came back and said, well, you got to remember that if you're raising an animal in the city of Chicago, you're not doing it to slaughter it. You're doing it for other purposes. Would you care to go into that just a second, Nick? Yeah. And so the city of Chicago views uh, urban livestock technically as pets. So that means there's not a limit to the number of chickens or goats you can have, um, but that also means that you cannot slaughter them. So people uh, are caring for urban livestock primarily for the eggs, the milk, the honey that they get as um, you know products from the animals. And we certainly advocate for taking good care uh, of those animals, just like we advocate for good soil health, as we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, you know, same uh, with humane standards uh, around. Uh, that urban livestock. And the idea of the Urban Livestock Expo was actually born out of, in 2007, there was a push to ban backyard chickens. um, And there was a whole big um, thing in and of itself. And and we really realized uh, when that was successfully defeated, uh, that doing education and proactive education like this um, was really an essential um, aspect of making sure that we continue to have the right to do this in the city of Chicago. So um, yeah, a great thing all around. All right. You mentioned uh, soil health, and lo and behold, we had a phone call come in, uh, and it, not quite by accident, because uh, I got a phone call last <laughs> night from Sarah Batka, who is a friend of the show, who used to be a co-host on this program, and she works for University of Illinois Extension, and she says, hey, I understand you're talking soil health tomorrow. And I said, well, we're talking about a lot of things, okay, mostly the expo, but, she's, but I know that AUA is working with uh, the University of Illinois and the Extension Program uh, to examine soil health uh, and and have folks come in and bring soil samples. So, Andrew, now it's Marganot, right? Andrew, is that how you pronounce your last name? Yes, Marganot. Marganot. And because we interviewed him last year at the Good Food Expo, uh, and he's uh, an assistant professor of soil science in the Crop Sciences Department of the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. And thank you so much for calling in, although, you know, you got a little nudge from uh, Sarah Batka, but we appreciate it. Uh, Can you explain what you're going to be doing with Advocates for Urban Agriculture in terms of soil health in uh, in Chicago in the coming months? Sure. Well, first, Mike, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So what we're doing with AUA in the coming months is a two-year project we're trying to figure out where exactly in Chicago there might be a risk of lead contamination. So when we think about healthy soils, we want soils that are fertile, that give us good crop growth, but we also want to be sure that they're safe for us to use, uh, both 
because we're working in the soil, we're touching it, and also because the crops that are growing in it, like tomatoes, might be at risk of taking up some of these contaminants like lead. Um, so there's a couple unknowns on these questions, like where are there hot spots in the city of lead? And then as importantly, what can we do to mitigate that risk? So what we're doing with AUA is to work with stakeholders, you know, folks who've got backyard gardens to commercial urban farmers, to develop a network to map soil lead, and then second, to trial different strategies that have promised to decrease the risk of lead uptake by food plants. Okay, now that the whole lead thing, and, and I think we talked about this a little bit, when we interviewed you last year, and I've done a, a lot of research on this. I wrote a story about this for Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, and then I did lead testing in my own yard, and it was pretty high, mm-hmm. all right? Now, and I know why that is, because I have a 130-year-old home that was obviously uh, painted with lead paint for many, many years, and if you take a lead reading right next right next to my home, it is through the roof, Um uh, and that's that's kind of the thing that we have to be concerned about in our soil. Right, Andrew? You got it, Mike. Um, so the main sources of lead contamination are largely historical. So it means that if there's lead out there in some soils, it was likely deposited a while ago. And we're talking back when gasoline was leaded and when paint had lead in it. Now, those two sources of contamination have since long been phased out, but lead kind of likes to stick around in soils, so it's not going to go anywhere, even though leaded paint and gas haven't been in use since the 1980s at the latest. Uh, And so what you describe is a pretty uh, important point for folks to keep in mind if they're testing soils for lead, which is that lead tends to be pretty heterogeneous in terms of where you find it. So as you move towards the source, like an older uh, wall that may have received leaded paint, um, then there might be a hot spot of lead in that soil. But if you were to walk 10 feet away, I bet you that it'd probably fall off. Um, And so one question to keep in mind is, how do you sample to capture what you think might be differences in lead because of these differences in deposition? All right. And we don't have a lot of time here. I want to get back to uh, to Nick in just a second. But I do want to mention that there's a list of places where you're going to be doing soil samples. Um, and they include uh, Wednesday, March 20th to the 23rd at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show. You're going to be March 23rd at the Good Food Expo, March 30th at Chicago Community Gardeners Association. Um, and, uh, you can find that information on my website. I've got a link there uh, to the Illinois extension events where you can get heavy metals tested and it tells you how to do that. Here's what I want to do. Uh, uh, Andrew is get you back on the show real soon and get people, uh, some more information about this because there's so much, there's a lot to discuss here, including how much do, uh, plants take up. You know, what's the bioavailability of lead in a plant? And as we know, in the fruiting body, like, mm-hmm. a, to- like a tomato, it does not grab the lead from the soil. But leafy plants might have a problem. But the real problem, as we know, is ingesting the soil itself. So, um, uh, mm-hmm. and- Andrew, you and I are going to talk soon. In the last minute and a half we have here, I'm going to go back to Nick uh, and talk about one more thing that you're doing, which is uh, a pretty cool thing with 
uh, advocates for for urban agriculture, and that's your urban agriculture ward ambassador. What's that all about, Nick? So that's recognizing that we really need to put a local and constituent face on urban agriculture with our elected leaders. So we are on an, an initiative independent of any bill or election, although we obviously have a lot coming up uh, with the election in a few weeks in Chicago, Mm -hmm. uh, to have urban agriculture ward ambassadors, all 50 of Chicago's wards, that, uh, that, you know, let our elected leaders know that that their constituents care about this stuff. So um, the goal is both to provide resources and also to have a two-way street of communication. So we've got those relationships when important bills come through, but then also that uh, we can avoid things like, for example, when I mentioned the 2007 attempt to ban backyard chickens. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we're very excited about that. Fantastic. Um, how to get involved in a toolkit is on our website. And, yeah, always looking for ward ambassadors. Um, so, yeah, please uh, please get involved. There's lots of ways to do so. All right. Uh, thank you so much, Nick Lucas uh, from Advocates for Urban Agriculture. Go to auachicago.org. Thank you, Andrew Marganot. Like I said, we're going to get you on the show. We're going to talk about lead in the soil, very important stuff. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. More coming up. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions, and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. And by Sitka Salmon Shares, bringing responsible and sustainable wild Alaskan seafood direct to your door. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Hope everybody enjoyed the uh, Yellowstone sounds over the break. Yeah, the wolves and the, uh, oh, you know, interesting. Um, I was listening uh, earlier today coming in about extinction. <laughs> well, always have an exciting topic. Um, and uh, it, it was about grizzly bears on a different station. And, it, you know, we're talking about monarchs and the possibility of them going extinct and then grizzlies going extinct. And this whole this whole battle about what should be. Uh, on the endangered species list and what should not be mm-hmm. on really kind of makes me crazy. This is lots of things make me crazy, yes. as you know. Pretty much everything in the world <laughs> makes me crazy. But the whole choosing and selecting. 
Well, but the the point is, uh, it was a rancher in in Montana mm-hmm. saying, "Well, when I grew up, there weren't any grizzlies around, and now they're everywhere." And I'm thinking, yeah, because when you were growing up, we had nearly extirpated them from the planet. And now there's a few more, and she's like, uh, well, you know, uh, we, we need to, you know, why don't we get them off the list? Well, when they're not in danger of going extinct, that's when they go off the list. And and, and what the argument is being made now about that is that uh, with the endangered species is, well, we got to be careful because there'll be blowback. Oh, great. You know, if we go too far in striving to save species, well, the, you know what the reaction will be? You can't tell me what to do on my land. I'm going to kill those darn grizzlies anyway. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. This is how this is our reaction. This is to, to wiping species off the planet is like, don't push me too far. Don't push me too far. Or I'll, I really will. I really will make them go extinct. That's us. That's human beings. This is why I'm there. there I yes, it's crazy. fine as long as it's not in my yard. Yeah. Situation. So, all right, let's do something nice. You talk about uh, Bill Turk and because uh, there's, I got a great email. Uh, I forgot to mention that, but go ahead, go to. So, so a couple things. Yeah, we'll talk about uh, playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall coming up today, right here on fifteen ninety WCGO from one to three. Um, they are welcoming Michael Glover Smith, whose award winning film Rendezvous in Chicago premieres for the first time this Tuesday, February eighth, at the Gene Siskel Film Center. And singer Cara Dawn joins Chip Ratcliffe in an all-new Practice Your Purpose. And, of course, we can blame Bill for anything and everything. Which I do. On blame a da- Bill, on a daily, hashtag. On a daily basis. But uh, coming up on our show next week, and this ties in as well with Bill, well, we've got Dave's story from Bartlett Tree Experts. So he's going to be coming Yay. on. Yeah, give him a ding, our talking gr- about winter tree care. You bet. And then Jessica Chipkin of Crate Free Illinois and Josh R- Josh. Richards of the Human League. They're joining us to talk about the February 12th screening of eating animals. February. Panel discussion and fundraiser at Dovetail Brewery. Of which uh, uh, Bill Turk is going to be the moderator. There's the tie into Bill. Yeah, there it is. And we'll be there in the background lurking, making faces at him. We're the tech crew. Uh, Really quickly, before we break, I got a wonderful email, and I I didn't have time to do this when uh, we were on with Benjamin Vogt. Um. She wrote to me, a friend of mine, uh, Nancy, wrote, I'm looking forward to your show next week with Benjamin Vogt. I actually liked his book, even though it is a little extreme. (laughs) (laughs) I gave a copy of the book to one of my older sisters who leans to the right. She got only halfway through it and gave it back to me. I Uh think I think it made her uncomfortable, which was a good thing. (laughs) Oh, Nancy, that is so funny. Um, she, she, then she wrote later, I was hoping the book might open, open up a conversation with my sister rather than having her get upset and give the book back to me. Um, she's under the influence of the orange one. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, that's why people write books and that's why we try to get them out to people. And that's mm-hmm. why we try to tell folks about them. Uh, because, um, oh, and we've got, he's, he's waving, Andrew's waving too at us. Uh, is that the, are you flashing the victory sign there? Is that what that is? I guess is? so. Okay, right. Victory for the show. Uh, so we got two minutes. Uh, is there anything else that we missed here? Uh, that we we got the the information about crate free. We got the information about mm-hmm. um, um, playtime with Bill Turk and yep. Carrie Kendall. All right. 
And we've got, just a reminder, West Cook Wild Ones and the Naturally Beautiful Garden Conference on February 16th. Ah, we already gave them but, publicity. Well, just going to again <laughs> mention the code through Tuesday. You can say yes, right. Mike Novak 2019. I, I, I'm actually embarrassed by that. I'm going to tell people that it, it's only 20 bucks for members, $35 for non-members. Just pay the full price, unless you're really broke or a student. In that case, use Mike Novak 2019 and you get 10% off, okay? So, you know, like for 20 bucks, that's $2. Or for th- it's 350 for, uh, you know, if you uh, are a non-member. Well, uh, and- okay, coming up, uh, we've got another person who's been on the show before and is returning, and that's Tom Zaki from TerraCycle. They sent us some information uh, right around the beginning of the year. They've got a new program that you can find out about by going to my website, MikeNovak.net. But, you know, Tom... All he wants to do is change the world, okay? So, uh, you know, no small thing. Um, And he just might with this thing. Um, And it's about how you can stop recycling because you don't need to recycle. You can reuse. Reuse, which we know is a step above recycling anyway. So uh, Tom Zaki from TerraCycle.com will be with us. He's talking about something called Loop. Not what's downtown in Chicago, something else. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. This is Peggy Malecki. Do you want to give your veggie seedlings a head start next spring? Then do what I do. Put them under a Happy Leaf LED grow light, and you'll never go back to shop lights again. 50,000-plus-hour minimum lifespan, five-year warranty, USA made. Go to happyleafled.com and save 10% on purchases above $100 when you use the code MIKE. Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights. Your plants will grow bigger, faster, and better. If you're looking to invest in an electrical car or truck, make sure to hire a state-licensed electrical contract. The installation of that charger will require a permit in most municipalities. So make sure to check the ICC website for a certified contractor at icc.illinois.gov. You can also call DNR Services Unlimited. They've been a licensed electrical contractor since 1992. Visit their website at restorethenorthshore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. You can enjoy fresh local food all winter long at indoor farmer's markets hosted by different Chicagoland houses of worship on select Saturdays and Sundays from now through April 6th. Your purchase of sustainably produced foods helps support regional farm families. The markets are organized by Faith in Place, a nonprofit which inspires people of all faiths to care for the earth through education, connection, and advocacy. For a market schedule and more info, go to faithinplace.org. We all love our pets, but do you ever stop to think that farmed animals are deserving of love and care, too? The Mike Novak Show is teaming with Crate Free Illinois to present a screening of the award-winning film Eating Animals on February 12th at Dovetail Brewery in Chicago. A panel of farmers and activists, moderated by Bill Turk of Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall, will explain how you can make simple, humane choices in your everyday life. For tickets and information, go to the Crate Free Illinois Facebook page. Hey, it's BQ. Listen to my show anytime that you want for free at soundcloud.com slash the hard question. Brought to you by John Lester of Lester and Sure One.
I do want to change the world. I'm sorry. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, you Beatle folks. Uh, no, we're not going to pay any attention to that because we got a guy on the line right now who is interested in no less than changing the world. His name is Tom Zaki. He's been on the program before. He is the guy who started a company called TerraCycle. And Tom, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Hey, it's great to have, uh, great to be here. <laughs> Good morning. And uh, uh, good morning. Yes, good morning. Is it? Uh, it's it's. But it's where you are. It's later. You got a you got an hour on us, right? You're on the East Coast, right? That's right. That's right. All right. Okay. So have another cup of coffee, and um, uh, we got some information from uh, your organization. We should, you know, for folks who don't know, TerraCycle. Uh, it was started in 2001. You were a student at Princeton. Um, it, we talked to you almost exactly a year ago on the show, and then we came downtown. You were at a conference. It was called the Sustainability Summit in downtown Chicago, and we did a little Facebook live action with you then. Uh, but last year, we talked about the, the history of your company, which in, you know, it's it's it. I guess to you, it's got to be uh, hard to imagine that you've been doing this for almost 20 years because... I'm I'm tempted to say, oh, that 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 young kid, he's uh, he's trying to change the world. But you know, you've been doing this for twenty years. So you're not a kid anymore, are you, Tom? No, no, I'm uh, almost well, thirty-seven now. I just turned. Yes, you know, so still, uh, I guess, getting older by the day. But you know, there's a lot to do in the world of waste. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, there is, and and that's the whole point: is how do we stop? The waste, and one of the things that TerraCycle has done over the years is you guys have shown the way how folks can recycle hard to recycle items uh and you know we're talking cigarette butts butts and we're talking cds and we're talking diapers diapers and we're talking all kinds of stuff that people just give up on and they throw it in their garbage and then it ends up in a landfill and as we all know that's not a good thing uh but you also know as i do and as peggy does that recycling is I like to call it the tail wagging the dog somehow because it's it's the last thing you should resort to. Uh, it, it in itself is not a horrible thing, but if that's what we're counting on to save uh, us from all the stuff we produce, we're on the wrong track, aren't we, Tom? That's right. That's right. You know, so recycling, ironically, even relies, I guess, academically, right, on the word waste to exist. You know, you couldn't have the word recycling in the dictionary without the word uh, waste. And I think we really need to ask ourselves, how do we return uh, to a world really, you know, up until about 70 years ago where the idea of garbage uh, didn't exist? And I think big parts of that are asking ourselves, you know, do we really need to buy certain objects? Mm Because, of course, not purchasing is the best way uh, to eliminate waste. And then looking at, uh, uh, you know, how do we keep things going around as much as possible? Um, And then, as you said, at the very last resort, making sure we can recycle whatever can't go around. But we put so much emphasis on recycling. And now one of the things that's happening with recycling, as we've talked about on this show, uh, is that we're finding out 
that our recycling efforts in some ways are misplaced because not everything is as recyclable as we used to think, at least not on the scale that we would like it to be. For instance, uh, the idea, and I've talked about this before, is clamshells that you buy your fruit in, and a lot Mm -hmm. of people buy those. If you throw those in the recycling bin, you're likely to get tagged in Chicago for having something that is not recyclable. I would assume that TerraCycle could figure out to do with them, but you're one company. Um, And so you guys... Uh, apparently uh, decided to go at it in a different way, and I applaud you for it, which is what if we stop making so many containers that have to be recycled? So can you... Used once. Yeah, use it once or, uh, yeah, those those one-time use. So what if we use containers over and over again for people to get their products? Uh, And that is Loop, which you uh, rolled out in uh, Switzerland, Davos, Switzerland, uh, in January. Can you tell us a little bit about that uh, program, Tom? Absolutely. So, you know, as you said, for now, gosh, uh, you know, 16 years, we've been trying to make things that are not recyclable recyclable, and it's been growing and, and, you know, it's fantastic, but it's not really addressing waste at the root cost. So while TerraCycle continues to do that and grow that effort, as well as make things from recycled material, we wanted to figure out how to address the root cause of waste. And in really digging into it, what we found is that the root cause of waste, at least we believe, is the idea of using something once. You know, it's not that plastic is evil or paper or alloys. It's simply using them once that is a very big challenge. And so that's how Loop came to be, was trying to think about a model that addresses disposability at the root cause, the durability, while trying to honor what made disposability win in the 1950s? Because disposability really took over everything from our clothing to our food. And what really, I think, made it win was that it brought unparalleled affordability and convenience to consumers. And those virtues are so profound that, you know, everyone moved in that direction, even knowing full well, you know, today, uh, uh, the negatives we still constantly vote for disposability. And so the Real, you know, breakthrough for Loop uh, that we discovered about two years ago and then announced just a few weeks ago is how do we maintain the benefits of disposability while moving to a durable, uh, reusable system? And the key shift was changing the concept of ownership. Mm-hmm. You know, today when we go to a supermarket, right, you know, we buy packaged food, home care products, personal care products. We really want the content, you know, whether it's our laundry detergent or whether it's our shampoo or orange juice. But we also end up buying the package, and we own the package. And this is really weird because at the moment these packages are empty, I don't think any of us want to own these packages. Right. And they become a waste problem, right, whether we can recycle, hopefully, and worst case, you know, we can't and have to dispose. So in Loop, all these packages of the world's biggest manufacturers, you know, from your Tropicana orange juice to your Tide laundry detergent, maintain property of the manufacturer. And when that happens, the manufacturer is financially motivated to make that package long-lasting and durable, and that enables not just refillability, but also amazing breakthrough design using you know fantastic materials and new design techniques, as well as new features that may not have existed in packaging before, like the uh, Loop Hagendas container keeps your ice cream frozen for multiple hours outside the freezer. Mm-hmm. You know, one example. Yeah, and. So hopefully, you know, this uh, allows it not just to be about reuse, but about really the future of consumption. In theory, that works. 
That's well, that that makes complete sense. In practice, obviously, you have to get buy-in not only from the consumer, uh, but the major companies of the world. And you've already begun to do that. You've brought in companies like Unilever, P and G. The Clorox company, Nestle, PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, European Partners, uh, you know, the Body Shop and and others to do this. I, I, I had to laugh. I was reading an article about you doing this and you said, well, actually, at the beginning, it was kind of hard. But, you know, once you get uh, a couple of these folks on board, it, it gets a lot easier. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, it's the same thing, uh, you know, for our show. If I'm selling advertising and I go to a, somebody and I say, I've got such and such as a sponsor on the show, they go, oh, OK, mm-hmm. that sounds good. We'll we'll, we'll join in, too. Um, so how is it you were able to sell this to the first Real, you know, you've got some pretty big players on there. What was your strategy to 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 sell it in the first place? It's it's a great question, and you know, the very very first partner uh, that we worked with was Procter and Gamble, mm-hmm. and you know the the way you know that team came around to it was first everyone in the organization agrees that the current method of you know disposable consumption, you know, uh, taking, making, and then throwing away is not sustainable in the long run. So I think there is a full system-wide understanding that this is a problem, and they're looking for solutions. And I think why Loop caught on is because it's not just about how do we solve waste, which is you know incredibly important, but also about how do we elevate consumption uh, and, and the way we consume products, giving you know way better experiences, way you know and, and amazing features and. This really lit the light bulb off for companies because they could bring out ideas that you know maybe they designed, but they couldn't uh, uh, um, release in the concept of disposable packaging because disposable packaging has one key challenge: a very very low budget per right. unit. Right. And when you are you know, only playing with five cents, ten cents a bottle, you're really mm-hmm. limited in what you can do. And again, by shifting ownership, suddenly all these things that these companies had dreamed about become possible. And it's not just about reuse. It's about really how do we create the future? And of course, in the future, you know, uh, the idea of waste shouldn't exist. And that framing really, you know, uh, 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 brought it to life. The other important thing is, and, and you mentioned it in your question, is how do we make the consumers come along? And I think what what P and G, and then you know later the other organizations realized is. We need to honor the virtues of disposability, this affordability and convenience. And so Loop very much is an engine. It's an engine for brands, uh, you know, like Procter, but it's also an engine for retailers, you know, uh, big retailers like Carrefour in France or Tesco in the UK, and we'll be announcing some U.S. ones very soon, where they can implement this idea into their e-commerce, into their physical store. And by doing it that way, suddenly the brands felt like there's a great scalability to it. Mm-hmm. And that was the magic recipe uh, to get folks excited and off to the race as we go. Well, it sounds like you, you <laughs> I don't know, listening to you describe it, I'm thinking you're a, you're a recycling geek, you're, a, you know, and you went to the geeks uh, of these companies and said, I'm going to give you a chance to design stuff that you wanted to design mm-hmm. for years and you've been held back by these issues and, you know, and the cost and, and other things. And it sounds like some of that buy-in came from the, 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 the engineering, departments. The, the engineering departments. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and moving. Well, that's exactly right. And there's, 
there's a trend, right? If you think about, you know, packaging, let's take something as simple as beverage, right? Mm-hmm. Beverage packaging, take like a Coca-Cola bottle, started in beautiful heavy glass, you know, and uh, that was reused in the United States at over 90% back in the, uh, in the 40s and 50s. Then it moved to aluminum cans, which are recycled at about 60%, then to PET bottles, which today in the U.S. are at about, you know, 25%, then carton, which are at 10%, and then beverages are trending towards pouches, which are not recycled at any percent. And not only does recycling go down in this sort of trend of packaging, but the quality for the consumer goes down. Um, uh, you know, if, if I gave you a beverage and had, you know, the choice was a beautiful glass bottle or a pouch, um, I think most people would probably, prefer, you know, prefer the bottle. And this is the key. It's about how do we, you know, identify that challenge and then go in a different direction. And you've definitely done that. Now, you said you want I've noticed that it seems like most of your buy-in right now, correct me if I'm wrong, seems to be from Europe, not so much from the United States. Are you having a harder time uh, cracking the U.S. nut? You know, it's a, it's a very you know, good question. And yes, so the, the, U, the European retailers jumped on this faster uh, than the U.S. ones, though we are going to be announcing some pretty large retailers mm-hmm. uh, in May when we launch in the northeast of the U.S. So there are, uh, you know, there's good adoption in the U.S., um, but I'd say it's a little bit more pronounced in Europe. And the reason I think is, uh, you know, France and the U.K. are really the epicenters of, you know, the awakening around uh, the problems of waste. Um, you know, people there, the media, and, and everyone has really woken up and are demanding changes. Lawmakers are, you know, looking to pass laws around packaging-free aisles. Uh, you know, the EU just outlawed uh, uh, disposable diningware altogether. Uh, you know, in, in the coming years from now, I think the U.S. is a little behind on this, probably being you know, in the state of our politics at the moment. But I think the people uh, who really make, you know, the uh, the decisions in the end and create trends. Mm-hmm. are very similar in the overall mentality. So I think, you know, we're we're going to see a good awakening here as well. Yeah, well, what's what I found interesting in the U.S. was you bringing in UPS to test your packaging for sending out the products and returning um, for the refills. And so I would think that's at least going to be some of your good buy-in, is having UPS involved. Oh, yeah. UPS has been a phenomenal partner. You know, they helped uh, uh, Loop develop a really state-of-the-art uh, shipping uh, mm-hmm. uh, systems so instead of cardboard and bubble wrap and throw, especially throwaway cooling technology, you know, like uh, like ice packs and so on. Um, the way you receive your loop products is a incredibly durable, uh, uh, multiple time reusable shipping container, no disposable parts at all, and can even uh, deliver frozen goods uh, and chilled goods at temperature without any disposable parts whatsoever. And that was really Big thanks to the engineers at UPS who helped uh, spend about a year uh, developing that. And it's think more like luggage than a cardboard yeah. box and bubble wrap. Yeah. And, and the testing, if I recall correctly, was out here in Addison, Illinois, too. That's right. That's right. That's where the uh, the labs are that really look at, you know, simulating uh, uh, wear and tear on a package, the jostling, you know, all those different things that really go into making something that can be a multi-use um, uh, shipping device. Um, and then from there, uh, uh, in May, uh, Loop will be going live in uh, New York State, New Jersey, Pennsylvania as the starting point, uh, Paris, and then in September in London, and then from there more U.S. states uh, uh, will follow. 
And I, and I want to make sure we just have a minute left here that people understand how this is going to work. Uh, very quickly, this is from your own press release, is a consumer goes to the Loop website. Uh, they buy something uh, that is going to be packaged waste-free. They receive the durable product in Loop's exclusively designed state-of-the-art shipping tote. Um, the uh, They receive the product. The container goes back to uh to the company there's no need to clean and dispose of anything because the company is going to do that um and of course you you have a uh, cleaning technology so that uh, each product can be safely reused uh and uh and then loop promptly replenishes products as needed and returns the refilled shipping totes to the consumer and voila you've eliminated a lot of waste um that's it, Tom. We're out of time. Congratulations on this. I hope it works for you. You can go to TerraCycle.com. You can also go to uh, the Loop website, Loop which store. is LoopStore.com. Tom, thank you so much. Thank you both. Did you know most farmers travel less than 10 miles to bring fresh food to farmers markets? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. We all know that local food is fresher, healthier, and better for the environment. Here are a couple of more reasons to love your local farmer's markets. Farmers get about 17.4 cents out of every dollar of food delivered to grocery stores, but they get 90 cents out of every dollar from farmer's market sales. More than 50% of farmer's markets now accept some type of voucher for food assistance programs. What's not to love? Find a farmer's market near you by going to localharvest.org eatwellguide.org, or the USDA Farmer's Market Directory. I'm Green Diva Meg. Listen to over 500 Green Divas podcasts and learn lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. This is Mike Novak. Serious and even not-so-serious gardeners in the Chicago area know that there's a year-round resource that always comes in handy, Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. It's the garden magazine for our region, and it's packed with information about plants, indoors and out. Every issue contains insightful articles by gardening pros, fantastic photos, science, and more. With features like what to do in the garden, design tips, and Chicagoland natives, you're going to be ready to grab a trowel and dig. Even I have a column in the inside back page of every issue. It's practically fact-free, and I'm proud of it. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. Catch Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall every Sunday from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on 1590 WCGO. Uh, Sony's not going to get us for this one because this is my friends, the Hillbilly Winos. Ah, I was going to ask who that was. Uh, they are the people who do the theme song uh, to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, good planets are hard to find. They didn't write good planets. 
are hard to find. Oh, now I'm going to... I always forget the guy's name uh, who did that. I'll look it up in a second. I'll look it up while you're doing that. You look it up while I'm doing it. Uh, and uh, I have a question for you. Got a minute for your trees? Bartlett Tree Experts has some advice for you. Last week, we talked about snow removal. This is part du storm damage, storm damage. Uh, the best time to fix storm damage is often before it occurs. A certified arborist from Bartlett Tree Experts can inspect for problems that might cause bigger problems when a storm hits. That work could include a climbing inspection or an analysis of decay that might be present in the branches, stems, or roots. Treatments like cabling and bracing, pruning, or lightning protection, especially if you have a high-value tree or it's close to a structure, can help trees and shrubs better endure weather events. By the way, if your arborist recommends topping your tree, uses climbing spikes while doing maintenance, or suggests removing it for no good reason, <laughs> you hired the wrong arborist. Give the folks at Bartlett Tree Experts a call. With four locations in the Chicago area and 80 tree care professionals on the job, you can count on someone being there when your tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Yes, and I have the answer. And it is? Steve Forbert. That's it. And I wrote it in 1996. Steve Forbert. Well, I I recorded that, uh, the theme back when I was at Gargantua Radio, live on the show. So that recording you hear every week, Good Planets Are Hard to Find, is a live recording I did. This. Hillbilly Winos came into the studio. I recorded them while I was hosting mm -hmm. the show. You know, pop a little reverb in there, put them on the mics and everything. It turned out great. I can't you cannot find that version anywhere. You have to listen here. That's right. That's uh, And you know what? One of these days I have to play the whole song. All the way through. Good planets are hard mm -hmm. to find. I think uh, I will definitely have to do that. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We have a bonus today. It's extra. Rick DeMaio. Mr. DeMaio, how are you this morning? Uh, you know what? Those droplets that you keep hearing outside your window are not snow melts. That's the teardrops coming from my eyes because we're rooting all this beautiful snow. It went from perfect cross-country ski snow to slop in a matter of 48 hours. <laughs> you know, you're right. Uh, now, not everybody... Oh, my God. It, it was the best. I actually got a couple of days in before the cold air hit. It was perfect. You must have really yeah, loved that. Yeah, did you did you do it in the area here? Did you go up to Wisconsin? Uh, oh, yeah. No, 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 no. I did it. I mean, I, I walked two blocks from my house, and I go right down to the lakefront. I go from... Lee Street Beach uh, in Evanston, all the way to the tip of Northwest University campus and back. It's a it's a pretty good run. Hmm. Well, we had to bring you on early today because uh, this was quite the week. It was uh, yeah a, a historic week in terms of weather, yeah. and yeah. I and I thought uh -huh. maybe we needed to recap it and and talk about what it what it all means. Um, cold it, here and record heat elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, ex yeah. across the planet because uh, a lot of parts of the globe. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I want to, uh, what it also means is that, what it also means is that if New York city could host the Super Bowl in early February, so could we given today's weather, right? Uh, we could, anybody can do it now. That's, that's the way these things, <laughs> you know, and, and, and let's face it, they were worried about a snowstorm Atlanta and they practically, they were getting ready to shut the oh, city, city down. And so, you know, yeah. whatever. I know they had they had they had winter they had winter weather advisories up for a half inch of snow. 
<laughs> it was hilarious. I, I, but, uh, you know, they, they got to do what they got to do. I understand their, um, their constraints are a little bit different than ours. Sure. Uh, I have to tell you a tweet I put out uh, a couple of days ago, and I can't claim full credit for it because it, it's okay. ba- it's based on something I wrote or, or that I read. But it I I, uh-huh. I I turned it around and made it my own. You tweaked the tweet. I tweak the tweet. Yeah, and I, <laughs> and I, and I tweeted, and it, it was kind of based on the weather we had in the past week. Uh, I tweet, right. I tweeted if we could harness the intense stupidity of all the comments about why there's no climate change because because it gets cold in January, we would never have to worry about tapping an energy source again. If we could just right. harness... Well, you know what? I, I, I give the... Um, and I know where you're going with this, but I give the major news sources, um, news outlets, rather, a lot of credit. I mean, both NBC News, Lester Holt, every night has been, you know, pounding away, giving a lot of great weather facts. Mm-hmm. Utilizing the Midwest correspondents talking about climate change um, on the CBS Morning Show, they talked about how the polar vortex could now be induced by you know shorter uh, periods of Arctic sea ice and also shrinking sea ice. PBS, which always is the lead on this, um, actually had Jennifer Francis on from Rutgers University, who I think is now with Woods Hole, and she's been someone that I've been talking about for years. And I think part of it was a little bit of a of a pushback. And you know what? We've had enough from a scientific standpoint of getting these idiotic, stupid tweets where we know we're coming from that you're alluding to, Mike. And we're like, you know what? We've had enough of this. It's about time that we actually talk back about it. And even the Weather Channel actually had a couple of these little, you know, kind of video vignettes off to the side. It wasn't like their main anchors doing it saying there is a difference between the two. It's not so much talking about the difference between weather and climate. That's such an easy thing. It's a, it's about the spatial distribution of weather. So you have to get away from this weather is short-term, climate is long-term, blah, blah, blah. You need to talk about the fact that the globe is a really big place, and you can have very different types of weather occurring in, in, in vast extremes in different parts, and that's okay. And, and I think that's where meteorologists have to take it. The weather is short-term, climate is long-term argument is old. Get rid of it. Get something new. Get something more technical. <laughs> people are smart. Yeah, you know, that's what I want to say to people. Okay, that's really stupid. And is that all you got? That's the best you've got? So we know that it's... Right. We, we, need, to, we need to push it a little bit, you know? Just just, just move on and, 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 and make people understand the, the spatial distribution. People look at maps. Show them a map. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, or, or as we did on fa- our Facebook uh, page this week, um, we we posted a number of things about the polar vortex. But then I posted something about the heat wave in Australia and how it's killing. Oh, my God. There is a yeah. mass die off of bats in Australia right, right. now because really? they cannot yeah. they yeah. cannot deal with this heat at all. And they're just dropping dead all over the place. Right. And, so when you when you say hey where's where's the hot weather you say oh well there it is in Australia okay uh, right yeah and I'm sure I'm sure Peg have you ran down some of these numbers earlier on the show uh, I I I don't she didn't we didn't have the numbers what wouldn't you, you did, okay um hundred and hundred and sixteen degrees in Adelaide mm-hmm. on the twenty fourth of January that's that's ridiculous I mean you're you're talking about heat that's not so much just record setting, but it's, it's pushing the norms 
um, it's pushing the extremes further to the left and further to the right. Yeah. So what I what I what I always like to do with my Loyola kids is I teach them about the difference between weather and climate. Weather is short term, climate is long term. Weather is exact. Climate is expressed in averages and extremes. But what we're beginning to see now is these extremes are now pushing further and further to the left and to the right of of the of the of the curve. And and this is where we begin to go, okay, that's a problem, and that hasn't happened before. And how do we deal with it? How do we adapt to it? How do we mitigate with it? Stuff like that. So not to get caught up in this discussion where we're going into, you know, why there's climate change. And one of the things that we've actually talked about at the, a meeting at the AMS in Phoenix was to stop talking about climate change and talk about climate variability. Mm-hmm. Because with the change, people go, well... I, I don't see it changing if it's cold. If it's variable like this is, you can't argue that. So that's one of the things that, as you know, I have always been a proponent of. Yep. You have to talk about variability. Right. But when you talk about change, right away people are, are related to exact numbers. And if those exact numbers are opposite of what they think they, it should be, then it hasn't changed. So again, that's a bad argument. And I think they've finally, I hate to say it, they kind of came around to my line of thinking. <laughs> uh, everybody does, Rick, sooner or later, okay? No, 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 no. no. And, 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 and it's not that I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a genius on this or a forward thinker. It's because I'm on the front lines and I'm teaching this stuff. Yeah. And, and everybody knows that when you teach this stuff, you're looking for a moment where the light bulb goes off in the kid's head or light bulb goes on, I guess is what I'm looking for. And, so the and light goes on, okay? That's, go ahead, Peg. I was going to say, it gets, it's hard to change the narrative. It's hard to change what people are used to hearing the way they're used to referring it, referring to it. And, and it does take a while. And like you said, the light bulb will go off. Well, it took, it took a decade, uh, 15 years for people to stop saying global warming mm-hmm. and go to climate change. And now Rick is saying, no, maybe we need to be saying climate variability. Yes. And, and you've, been, you've been extremely consistent on that, Rick. You are Mr. Climate Variability. And, and if you look... Well, well, we, go on, I'm sorry. I'm just going to say, well, if, if you look at this week, we went from minus, you know, 20, 20-something, and now we're going to be close to 50 today and tomorrow. Uh, that is variability writ large. Right. Right. And, and to me, people are talking more about the variability than the change. Am I right? Uh, well, I hope they are right now. I mean, when... well, I mean, but, but you, you hear people on the street going, oh my God, I can't believe how much warmer we're going to be in three days. That's <laughs> something that they can relate to. Right. But that's something that they can relate to. They don't go, oh, now I understand why the polar vortex is where it is because the Arctic sea ice is doing this and this. Is, they can't they can't synthesize that. They can synthesize eighty degrees in three days. They yeah. can. So so when when I'm on the front lines trying to teach this stuff and I go through a whole Jennifer Francis theory about this stuff, I go any questions and they look at me and I go, can you repeat everything I just said? Yeah. What? Right? So, okay. So that that's that's not getting to them and and if this is a microcosm of a much larger population, then people have to get out, I hate to say it, of their ivory towers and their research papers and get into the real world and talk to not not scientist kids, but for non-scientists, because that's the majority of our population, mm-hmm. are the, nine, uh, the non-scientists. 
All right. And, and unfortunately, that's the kind of people that I'm teaching is the non-scientists. All right, we're going, to talk, to we're going to talk more about that. We've got to take a short break. Rick DeMaio talking weather and climate and variability. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. From boat to doorstep, you can have the best in premium and sustainable Alaskan seafood right here in the Midwest. Sitka Salmon Shares is an Alaskan community-supported fishery, or CSF, comprised of small boat family fishermen from southeast Alaska. They're supported by 4,000 CSF members, and you can be one, too. Sign up at SitkaSalmonShares.com to receive fresh Alaska salmon, whitefish, and more in shares ranging from three to nine months. Use promo code MikeNovak18 for $25 off. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. Wild Things is back, and good grammar has not went. We're talking about the 2019 Wild Things Conference on February 23rd at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center in Rosemont. There's nothing like it anywhere else in the country as naturalists, citizen scientists, conservationists, birders, and more converge for nine hours of seminars, comedy, workshops, and goodwill. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki is a media sponsor again this year. Go to wildthingscommunity.org. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Ego Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne Keratin Smoothing Products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. What is this, anyhow? This is your talk. This is America, Jack. On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. It keep raining and raining. Except when it's snowing and snowing. Tears from my eyes. Oh, those are the Rick DeMaio tears. Okay, because he can't ski in the soft powder anymore. Oh, yeah. All I do is cry. Pick this up. Somebody help me. There we go. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We have bonus Rick DeMaio on today's show. I hope you've been listening. Those of you tune in exactly at this time to catch uh, meteorologist Rick DeMaio's reports, you missed uh, 10 minutes of it. So uh, we're talking climate variability. And what are the larger lessons to be learned from the cold spell we just had? Rick, uh, what kinds of temperatures did we have this past week? There were some records set in Illinois, weren't there? Yeah. Um, the record at Rockford was broken. That used to be minus 27. Rockford made it down to minus 31. Wow. Um, the unofficial record for the state, which was Congerville, uh, was minus, I think it was Congerville, minus 36. And I think there was an unofficial minus 38 out in Mount Carroll. Now, that's a cooperative observer, so they have to go out there and check that person's equipment mm-hmm. and make sure that it's, um, quote, up to snuff. Um 
we didn't break the record for the number of hours of cold, and I'm going to go into the reason, you know, for below zero, I'm going to go into the reason why for that. But one of the things that I came up with was if you want to start making a shirt that said this was the coldest day in Chicago, dot, 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 says Rick DeMaio, you can do that. Because <laughs> I went back and I looked at, no, this is serious, because I went back and I looked at the numbers. And the way we, you know, talk about averages is we just basically take the daily high and the daily low. We add them up, divide by two, you get the mean for the day. So the coldest mean ever was minus 18, um, set on December 24th, 1983. Um, if you look at this past January 31st, we had a low of minus 10 um, and a low of minus 23. And it still, I think, should be minus 24 because the hourly odds actually showed minus 24 for about 10 minutes or so. But besides the point, you ended up, you divide by T, you get minus 16.5. However, those of us who are in the meteorological community from a standpoint of doing agriculture and uh, commodities, especially from heating, natural gas, electrical uh, demand, stuff like that. We don't look at highs and lows. We look at what, what the temperature was every hour on the hour. So if you add up every hour on the hour, all right, the average temperature for December 24th, 1983, was minus 17.1. On the 31st, uh, actually, it was minus 17.4. Um, on this January 31st, it was minus 17.4. That will still put it as the second coldest hourly, but if you look at it in the middle of the day, from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., the average temperature on December 24th was minus 16.1, mm-hmm. and on January 31st, it was minus 18. So during the middle of the day, when heat was in most demand, because most people want the heat on during the day, not at night, you can actually look at the daytime temperature on January 31st was the coldest in record keep Chicago. I I'll go with that. I'm making the t-shirts. I'm I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. designing I, them right after I, the show. I, yeah, and I sent that over to you. Now, when you talk about lessons learned, I think this is more so a lesson for meteorologists because there were a lot of people who were doubting the fact that we were going to get this cold because typically when you get cold like this, you have the uh, basically what you call the Siberian jet. And remember, you haven't heard that much lately. Nope. The Siberian jet is when you have the air basically flowing all the way across uh, across uh, uh, Siberia, across the North Pole, into the United States. When you have that, you generally tend to have a very, very large um, Arctic area of high pressure with the, with the barometer up to about, say, 1050 to about 1055, all right? This did not have that. This actually had an area of high pressure that was only about 1035 millibars. Now, what does that mean? That means that this air really didn't start up around Siberia and cross the North Pole into the United States. It was more so a byproduct of less Arctic sea ice and the jet stream basically taking a dip across northern Alaska. And it was more so pushed into here on very strong winds behind a big area of low pressure. Remember, we had that storm come through on Monday, mm-hmm. and only a small area of Arctic high pressure. So oddly enough, the nature of the synoptic-scale weather system in the past would have not given us this amount of cold weather. So from a meteorological standpoint, the personality of the large-scale flow pattern, I think, fooled a lot of meteorologists about three or four days out. They said they looked at the pattern and go, 
that type of pattern doesn't get us as cold. But you know what? It did. And I think think that's where a lesson could be learned. So the lesson is for meteorologists in determining uh, what they're going to tell folks uh, and looking at, well, you, you had some of these maps and you were, you were telling us, I believe what I'm seeing here on these maps. Um, right, right. And uh, so, and it, who had who had the right stuff there? That's what I want to know. Well, 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 the, well. Computer models were actually forecasting a wide variety of numbers, but they were actually trending colder than what you would normally expect in this type of pattern. So, what I'm saying is, from a meteorological standpoint, when you look at this stuff, you go, "Wow." We actually got a lot colder than I would imagine in this type of flow pattern. I wonder why. And I think part of it was because it had a little bit more of a robust short-term nature to it. Think about, again, how quickly we got cold and how quickly we warmed up. And I think that's partly due to the fact that the area of Arctic high pressure was rather small compared to ones in the past. Ah, okay. Okay. So does this... There you go. I, I think the light bulb went off. It, it did. It did. So yeah. uh, give me give me the quiz now so I can take it while the light bulb is <laughs> He's glowing yeah. here right now. Yeah. When you do when you're doing the when you do the group quizzes it's okay, what did he just say? Exactly. No, right now, right now I I, I know what he said. I understand it. And in fact we just got uh, Amos uh, who's listening to us uh tells us the new slogan for the twenty first century is global climate variability is real, not a hoax. So yeah, there. <laughs> there you go. That's perfect. That's close. And you know what? I've been trying to get Loyola to change the name of the class from just climate change to climate change and variability. But you know what? I think if you call it global climate variability, boom, there's no arguments, right? No I, arguments. I think you got to go to uh, management there and tell them that uh, that's what... <laughs> <laughs> Walk in with your T-shirt. No, I... With the T-shirt. We'll, <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get you the T-shirt. I just I just want to go cross country ski. That's all I want to do. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to change the world. <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, the, the whole show today, <laughs> the whole show has been about changing the world. Whether it's the pla- right. the plants you put in your ground, the the animals you keep in your backyard, the stuff that you don't recycle because you're reusing containers, the finding out what's in your right. soil, finding out what's in your soil, and right. and now you. Right is convincing people that there are forces at work that we haven't understood and we're still trying, we're working hard to right. understand right now. So, right, and all, of, and all it is, Mike and Peg, is not trying to fight science. Don't be, don't be scared of science. Accept science. I always tell people, you, you, want to, you want to really embrace science, go down to the lake when it's minus 20 degrees and look mm-hmm. at the water. Yeah. And I, I did that both Tuesday, both Wednesday and Thursday. And you'll get people who have never looked at the lake before and go, oh, my God, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> I, go, yeah. I go, put water on the stove, put the heat under it, and, and, and turn it on, and that's what's happening yep. right now. It's All pretty right. amazing. It give, really is. give us a 15-second uh, forecast here. All right. So uh, low 40s today, a lot of clouds, a lot of fog. That's what happens when you blow warm moist air over cold ground. Uh, near 50 tomorrow for about three hours. And then it cools down. We'll get a little bit of snow and sleet on Tuesday. Temperatures mid-20s. A benign day on Wednesday. Two to three inches of snow on Thursday. But once we get back in the cold weather on Tuesday, we're in it basic for the next 10 days. No return to brutal Arctic air. Just basically early February type weather. All right. Thanks, Rick DeMaio. Great stuff. I want to thank everybody who was on the show today. We don't have time to list them. Until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Oh, uh, what? Is that it? 
Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. Thank <laughs> you.